Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. We're listening to the exact same thing, so I think your headphones are broken. Put your let's put on both ears. Oh, it's just coming out of one ear. Hold oh on. yeah. Check check. Now it's both ears. Totally. Okay. Is it though? <laughs> it is. I just didn't want it to be wrong. Yeah. Like because normally you don't have both. I microphones. wasn't being serious. I feel like you took offense. Uh oh. Uh oh. Are we fighting? Are we fighting right now? <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> just trying to help. No, here. you did a great job. Thank you so much for your help. I really <clears throat> just appreciate yelled it. Yelled at the whole time. I wasn't yelling. <laughs> I rest my case. Welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid-Sikic. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. diving deep into the world of the brilliant but tragic composer Hugo Wolf. And to help me do that, I have somehow managed to wrangle the Brian Sigich into the back corner of the sofa where I am going to shout about leader at him for the next hour. Doesn't that sound like fun? Hooray! <laughs> Let me uh, take a little sip of my kombucha to okay, we, ready yeah. myself. Oh no, see, I just can't do those... <sighs> This is now officially an ASMR podcast. No, it's an ASMR... Leader podcast. Hate pod. Things that are ASMR to other people are, in fact, anxiety and rage-inducing to me. You know, you ever run across those TikToks stirring marbles in water or whatever? Oh, yeah. It's not... I see those and I... The rage that boils up. Well, and you never actually even listen to it with like a, a pair of quality headphones on you're no, just seeing it on your phone i, I try putting the headphones sw- on no. and it's like a totally different i mean it's like I think I it's almost like an ice plunge you know Honestly, it's like it I shocks the senses murder someone in my <laughs> please don't <laughs> it it stirs me to violence they literally stir me to violence <laughs> should leave that in the review this is actually the first time that i'm covering wolf on the podcast um and there's just absolutely no way to get all the info I would like to cram into your ear holes uh, in one tiny little hour. So we're going to do a brief synopsis touching on what I think are probably the most important points of the composer you should know just to, you know, get to know the fella a little bit. Okay, hopefully you'll learn a lot and listener you will too about Wolf during this process. And uh, remember that you are free to ask any questions as we go, offer opinions, insert funny remarks, and casually fan my ego by saying how good I'm doing, how interesting this all is, what a great host I am, how cool I look in this outfit today. <laughs> That's asking a lot. I'm, I'm not a compliment machine over here. Well, you know <laughs> are you not? I, wait, no. I, what? That doesn't sound... Okay, Hugo Wolf, here we go. Uh, Hugo Wolf was born in Windischgratz in what was the Austrian Empire in 1860. Brian, do you remember where you were in 1860? 
I was not alive. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. His father owned his own leather business. However, a fire broke out in the family home when Wolf was seven and his father never financially recovered. Finances were destined to be a main point of contention between Wolf and his father. You know, this never-ending quest to make ends meet, to earn enough money to support himself and be a man of repute. He thought that Hugo would simply not be able to make it as a composer, as a musician. And so they were, their writings back and forth are always quite fiery. His father was a little bit over the top in the drama department. They um, <laughs> would write him a lot of woe is me letters uh, when uh, Hugo would write him for money. Um, so I think some of the dramatic flair that Hugo Wolf had, he got from his father. Uh, Wolf was one of six surviving children, and he displayed the most natural musical ability out of all the kids and soon outgrew all that his father could teach him about music. Uh, as he was taking violin and piano lessons, he quickly showed prodigious talent and was soon consumed with the idea that no career would suit him except that of a musician, composing specifically. He ended up basically failing out of a few schools because he simply could not set his mind to anything except music. So Latin, he was terrible. It just school after school, he would fail at, you know, his father would try something new with him and he just couldn't stick with it because all he wanted to do was live and breathe music. So eventually, it was decided that he would go to Vienna and stay with some family and enter conservatoire there. In Vienna, Wolf was soon introduced to some new friends, including Mahler. Do you know Mahler, the great composer? Um, Gustav? Yes. I also get him confused with Albert Moeller, the conservative evangelical <laughs> <laughs> author. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Different Fair guy. enough. Totally different guy. <laughs> so Mahler was an incredible uh, composer, and he uh, attended conservatoire at the same time as Wolf. And they were actually friends. There are these funny stories about how uh, they shared a room uh, for a certain period of time, but when one of them was composing, would get into like a, f a fit of like, you know, furious composing, uh, the other one would have to leave the room because they were making too much noise. And so sometimes whoever was not doing the composing would just like walk around the park at night or sleep on a bench out in the park so the other uh, person could be using the room to compose in. <laughs> That's a serious understanding and like um, accommodation to right? each other's commitment. I would like never, I'd be like, nah, man, I got to sleep. Like I treasure the sleep. Totally. Wouldn't do it. Totally. But I think that they understood that part about each other. So it worked out kind of well. <laughs> you know, tonight's your night to sleep on the park bench. So in Vienna, Wolf became obsessed with the composer Richard Wagner and his music and set out on a mission to meet the composer and show him some of his works. Apparently, Wolf was quite the character in his strange looking clothes because he was from a different part um, of Austria. So his clothes uh, were very uh, evocative of his hometown. You know, you could tell when like someone's from the country, that kind of situation. Pair of blue overalls. <laughs> Right, so there he was in Wagner's hotel in his blue overalls. <laughs> and eventually he struck up a friendship with a hotel manager who was able to arrange a meeting with Wagner. So the 15-year-old Wolf boldly tried to get the master's opinion on his w work, but Wagner stopped him mid-sentence to say, My dear child, I can pass no judgment upon your compositions. I understand nothing at all about music. It was a memory that Wolf cherished and would often reminisce about. Kind of like when I saw Patrick Stewart outside our house. <laughs> yeah, when you crumpled to the ground. I literally just, like, crumpled froze, to the ground. Froze in your place and melted. Yeah, but I love going back and reliving that memory. How I like ran cartoon style back into yeah. the house and <laughs> collapsed on the ground. Uh. It's been said that Wolf destroyed a lot of his early music um, with which he was not satisfied, but it seems that this was probably not true due to the fact that we have many pieces of his music still in existence that he wrote across, so it's in his own handwriting, he wrote across it, rubbish, trash, no good. <laughs> not good. Not good. Uh, which I think is funny. I mean, the fact that he wouldn't just throw it out, but that he would keep it, but write his opinion about almost as if he kind of wanted to be able to go back and look at it but he was aware that it it was trash stuff 
And was it truly trash stuff, like to to the modern day compared to his later works? Was yeah, it, for was sure. It truly like bad? he was trying to figure out his style. He would often write things, um, kind of copying someone. He really admired Schumann, so he would write sort of a composition like in Schumann's style, where he's very blatantly copying. Also, some of his stuff was really rambling, not quite fully fleshed out. Um, a lot of that's due to the fact that he was really very self-taught you'll see in a little while we'll talk about his conservatoire experience but mm, his own style he basically taught to himself so you can see him kind of fleshing it out um in those early stages but he so it wasn't like he was being too hard on himself like he was actually like he actually had the awareness to be like eh, this isn't it yeah but also i do think if anything was less than 110 percent he was going to be prone to like crumple it up right. and throw it away right. Um, he was very passionate, very outspoken, very opinionated, and didn't do anything small. In 1875, Wolf was trying his hardest to become independent and self-supporting. He was teaching violin and piano lessons, and while that might not have been exactly what his father wanted him to do, he was trying to be industrious. So he was trying to manage all that while going to conservatoire. At conservatoire, Wolf studied composition under Professor Krenn but was not happy with Kren's style of teaching. He believed that his progress was being hindered more than it was being helped. So, one day he announced to the conservatoire director that he was leaving because he was forgetting more than he was learning. After making this announcement, he was officially expelled for, quote, offenses against discipline. <laughs> and he was absolutely incensed that he should be turned out of conservatoire, even though... He was quitting anyway. It was his sense of justice. Yeah, was it like... was like the principle of the matter. But here's an extra complication. Another student, as a practical joke, sent the director a rather threatening letter and signed it with Wolf's name. So when Wolf like marches in there to talk to the director and try to straighten things out, the director's like, oh, no, not me. You don't go here anymore. You're not my student. This isn't your school. And like just tried to run away. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how his official education ended. Wolf returned home for nearly eight months in 1877 and was quite entertaining to his younger siblings. Apparently, when he was at home, he would display the rich profanity that he heard from the cab drivers in Vienna. Um, and often he would drag his sisters on walks with him where he would just preach to them about Wagner and like all the principles that Wagner stood for in composition. And then he would go home and he would like give them quizzes. <laughs> this literally sounds like Carter, our nephew. <laughs> I know. Here, let me tell you about all these things, and then let me ask you about all these things that I've just told you. Exactly. It's exactly like that. Um, while he was home, when he wasn't uh, cross-examining his brothers and sisters <laughs> on the extent of their musical knowledge, he spent much of his time planning how to get back to Vienna. Uh, he was always busy, though. He was a busy, busy little bee. He planned concerts and became friendly with a few of the uh, residents there that had musical interests. So there was always a lot of activity around him. Eventually, he was able to secure work as a music teacher in Vienna and happily set off on a return journey in November 1877. And this is when a man named Albert von Goldschmidt figured prominently in Wolf's life. Goldschmidt was a wealthy artist and musician, not an overly talented kind of guy, but well-connected and rich, which really helps a lot, right? Money makes the world go round. <laughs> sure does. It was through this circle that Wolf found cultural guidance and aroused empathy among his friends for his financial difficulties. So he was extremely amusing to everyone in this circle. He was very precocious and extremely enthusiastic. And also, I think the non-filtered opinions he had about everyone and everything just was generally entertaining. At this time, the writings to his families are extremely optimistic. He was filled with an abundance of exuberance and a belief, perhaps a bit arrogant belief, that he was destined for a bright and successful future. He was ready for all that he would achieve. So, it was perhaps a bit unexpected that a dark and ominous cloud began to shadow his life. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. What's going to happen? Well, what do you think it's going to be? Without reading further in the script, <laughs> let me guess. Um, maybe 
he gets into gambling. Maybe he gets into Ooh, gambling, yeah. sensual pleasures. Maybe he gets into, sensual I mean, that's, the, that's. Those are the things. You're right on track, actually. It is through Goldschmidt that Wolf discovered the, me- the more hedonistic pleasures. Ah, the finer things of life. The sen- what did you say? The sensual, sensual pleasures? Yes. <laughs> it would seem that Wolf contracted syphilis when he attended a brothel with Goldschmidt. So Goldschmidt would play the piano at this brothel and in exchange, instead of getting paid money, <laughs> he would be paid with a woman. What a deal. <laughs> oh man, without charge. So one time he presented this, you know, fee that he had earned to his friend Wolf. And it was from this encounter we surmise that Wolf took away with him the sickness that would later rob him of his mind and his life. That's just tragic. I know. It's really sad. I know. All in the flash of uh, something. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Wink. Wink, wink. Um, Some evidence to back up this idea is the strange tendency Wolf developed around that time of not eating food at friends' houses. It was most likely on the advice of a doctor that he would not use utensils for fear of spreading the disease. So he didn't want to contaminate others by using silverware. Many friends at the time thought it very odd that it was a symptom of his pride that he didn't want charity from them by taking their food. Because remember, he's poor. He's like trying to make it as a composer. He's not doing so well. He has no money. His father isn't wealthy. And so people thought, ah, oh, maybe he just is too proud to accept this charity. Uh, quick question. Mm-hmm. Was syphilis um, communicated via like like saliva? That's, so like the utensils? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish I like could... like a handshake? Yeah, I wish I could tell you a definitive answer right I'm now. I'm shocked you don't know that much about syphilis. I'm shocked. No, I do know a lot about syphilis <laughs> because <laughs> we course. covered it in an episode uh, in season two. We literally talked all about but syphilis. But we don't know about the whole avoiding utensils I thing. believe. So when the sores are open, that's when you can um, transmit it to mm. other people. I don't know, however, the science behind if you have an open sore, say, in your mouth, and you eat off of a fork, I don't, that bacteria, I would assume, could get on the fork and then be transmitted to someone else. But I actually don't know if that science holds up. I don't know if it mm. truly can be transmitted that way. And, you know, they thought all sorts of crazy things back then. So just because the doctor I mean, doctors look at us with it, COVID. We didn't know anything about that. And we were wiping down our groceries. <laughs> like. Yeah, facts. <laughs> um In any case, it was noted at the time that he would eat sandwiches, cheeses, and fruit, which were foods that could be eaten without using utensils. Wolf was known for his fiery temperament and struggled with mental health issues throughout his entire life. Uh, But his mood swings and erratic behavior definitely progressed a little bit more after this time and strained his relationships with friends and patrons, which is something we'll talk a little bit more about later. Wolf was always relentlessly borrowing money. He would be asking his father, his friends, his family, kind mentors, essentially anyone in his life, he would ask for money. But he was so determined that he should make it as a musician. He believed so intensely that the world must bear witness to his genius that I think everything else was secondary. And that's not to say he was, you know, not without pride. Wait. It's not to say he was without pride. I feel like I've double negated myself. I think you know what I mean. Basically, he was willing to ask for help or ask for money. Right. Yes. But he wasn't just trying to live it up, throwing cash away. He was attempting to be economic while never giving up on his dream. At one point, he did secure a job as chorus master at the Stadttheater in Salzburg. He was quickly promoted because his skill was so obvious, but it soon became apparent that he was ill-suited for the job temperamentally. He had an extreme distaste for the music. I think they were doing like, I don't know, Strauss operetta or something. So he would not prepare or rehearse it with the singers he was helping, which he was paid to do. So a singer would turn up for rehearsal and he would say, oh, leave the stuff. I'll play you some Wagner instead <laughs> so uh that only lasted for so long before he was let go he sounds like a, a triangle that wouldn't fit through a square hole wait it, no yes, what is it circle yes. through a square through a circle circle wh- yes he was a shape that would not be fit through another shape a pentagram through a heart <laughs> correct uh okay i just want to take a quick moment to to say some more like 
impressions of Wolf, the overall impression that Wolf gave to his friends, his enemies, and to those of us who are reading about him in posterity, it's that he was truly larger than life, which maybe is not that hard to do because he was actually only five feet and one inch tall. But after I tell you some of these little anecdotes about him, you'll see what I mean. One of his friends said that he was unconsciously the most humorous figure that he had ever encountered. He had an extremely fiery temperament and was exceptionally sensitive. At his best, he was totally charming, thoroughly engaging, wickedly humorous, and had a fantastic imagination. At his worst, he could change his mood on a dime and hold a grudge for, well, forever. <laughs> for instance, obviously, we know that a wild feud was going on between the supporters of Wagner and the supporters of Brahms in his early life. Right. I mean, obviously, we know that. Uh, no, did not know about the feud. Uh, yes. So there was this extreme feud going on be, uh, between the supporters of Wagner and the supporters of Brahms. Brahms was like old fashioned, very conventional. So people thought, obviously, Brahms was a brilliant composer. But those who really supported Wagner thought he just was the worst. And they were very outspoken about it. Wagner was trying to push music and push opera into this whole new kind of uh artwork this whole complete artwork um and yeah the two factions were just very polarized um but Wolf actually when he was young found much to admire in the music of Brahms which was in exact opposition to what most of his friends thought about Brahms he thought you could see how the quality of Brahms's music was quite high that there was much to be admired about it while he might not necessarily compose in that style himself so, at some point, Wolf decides, it's time to meet Mr. Johannes Brahms. Cue Johannes Brahms. <laughs> Guten Tag. Guten Tag. <laughs> you guys haven't seen the Raisin Bran commercial. <laughs> Look up Johannes Brahms Raisin Bran on YouTube. Oh, man. It's the best. It really is. It gets me every time. Actually, please pause the podcast right now. <laughs> Pull up YouTube. I don't think we have time for that. Type but it in. I'll include no, it. No, I'm not in talking to you. I'm talking to oh, the listener. Oh, okay. I'll include yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah, please, so this listener. is your chance yeah. to do put that. A, put a link in the notes. Okay. I'm starving. What's for breakfast? Guten Tag! Johannes Ross! Guten Tag! We're back. Uh, so, anyway. Wolf decides it's time to bring some of his music to Mr. Brahms, and apparently the meeting did not go very well. Brahms told him to come back when he had learned something about music. And it's after this point that Wolf becomes feverishly anti-Brahms. And much of his later writing included a good deal of vitriol uh, regarding Brahms's music and those who supported him and composed in similar styles. So he held this uh, viewpoint for the rest of his life. Hence, uh, earlier when you say he could change his mood on a dime and hold the grudge forever. Forever. Correct. Uh, there's so many little anecdotes I read about him in my research where his personality really just seems to jump off the page. He was such a funny little guy. <laughs> he had a quick, jerky walk and never walked upstairs, only ran. And would always be heard talking to himself. Uh, there's this one little uh, anecdote where a friend is walking with Wolf and turns around and is like, what are you doing? Because he sees that Wolf has his ear down to the water and is trying to ascertain what the pitch of the frog's croaking is. <laughs> when singers and audience displeased him, he would just get up and walk off the stage. He, he just didn't care. Just left. Yeah, yeah, he didn't care. He was, he was running to his own drum. Um, he stuffed bread in his ears one time instead of cotton wool. I guess he was out of wool. Uh, he was on a train ride and he was trying to sleep or get some work done. Um, but he was unable to completely remove the bread. <laughs> had to go see a doctor to have them remove the bread from his ears. Uh, so immediately after this, his friend said, hey, why don't you go buy some earplugs? Um, and he went ahead and purchased them. And they became an essential part of life for him, which I think is really telling. It shows he was probably overstimulated a lot. Yeah. The fact that earplugs would be helpful, not only at night to help you sleep, but at other points during the day. Yeah, just to block out the noise. Yeah, mm, blocking out the haters. Mm, blocking out the haters. <laughs> also, pause podcast, link for our favorite meme slash video. This has got to be the only podcast that is like connecting... Uh, a, a very specific genre of classical music with memes that are out in the world. Correct. Our pop culture is coming in strong. When finally, at some point, someone 
came up with the idea to give him money to write an opera. He was long chasing after the writing of an opera. He said, high time, high time that that occurred to someone. <laughs> <laughs> and what, that's what I've been saying. That's a time. great quote, actually. <laughs> I want to start using that more often. High time. High time. Um, he knew the worth of what he created. And he only asked that he might be allowed to go on producing other things from that mysterious source within him. And when he could create, when he could be producing music, he was gloriously happy. And when that creative spring had run dry, he was the most miserable man alive. He quarreled with friends and patrons quite often. And you'd think that someone so dependent on other people for money would try to bite his tongue or at least be civil about holding contrary opinions, but no. The stories where Wolf literally walks out on dinner or vows to never enter someone's house again because of an argument are plentiful. He had absolutely no problem just burning bridges and saying what was on his mind, which in some ways is, you know, admirable, but in other ways is a little too chaotic. If you were to cast him as like a like a character or say, for mm. instance, a character in a movie that mm. already exists, sort of that like... That feisty, powerful, yeah. super like crazy mood swings. Do I? Can I think of if, someone? If a character already exists that's like similar, that that kind of reminds you. Mm. And if not, what actor do you think would play? An okay, excellent so Hugo someone, Wolf? someone who reminds me a little bit of him, completely different. The character of Sherlock Holmes in the Sherlock mm, series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, the fact that he like obviously Sherlock Holmes is maybe a bit more on the spectrum, but. And not as charming, right? Is not even attempting to be charming or humorous. Right. Um, but I think that sort of not caring about what bridges you burn or that your opinion, well, your opinion's the right one, so it should be spoken. I feel, I feel like that's kind yeah. of similar. Yeah, it's got some nice tones. But yeah, Sherlock Holmes is much less chaotic, I think, <laughs> than Wolf was. So in 1883, Wolf became a music critic for the Wiener Salonblatt. He wrote outrageously critical opinions of many composers and did not make many friends in this way. And again, it's kind of remarkable that he was so free with his acerbic comments and condescending opinions of music. It's just odd for someone who is still young, a composer, you know, trying to, to make connections. The fact that he would be making enemies in such a public way was really not a good business plan. He became quite well known for his attacks upon everything in Vienna, which did not meet with his approval. <laughs> he became known as the Wild Wolf, or maybe they say Wilde Wolf. <laughs> That's a great nickname. Yeah, um, and his writings were a feature of the Salonblatt for more than three years. Uh, he actually had a little bit of a rivalry with another critic who attacked some of Wagner's music, and I believe the phrase, a cannibal who had burnt his mouth with too hot a piece of human flesh would compose music like this, was used by this rival to describe Wagner's music. So, as you can imagine, of course... Uh, Wolf fought back by attacking the Brahmsian front. About the Brahms B-flat major concerto, he said this, Whoever can swallow this piano concerto with relish may look forward with equanimity to a famine. It is supposed that he rejoices in enviable digestion and in time of famine will be able to help himself out excellently with food substitutes, such as window panes, cork stoppers, oven screws, and the like. It's so, it's such an over-the-top comeback. really, really over-the-top. I love it. Apparently, Brahms was very aware of Wolf's caustic remarks about him and was reported to say, It's Sunday, and I must buy the Salonblatt to see what Hugo Wolf has written further about me. And I do believe that he said this with some degree of humor. Um, okay. I, feel I wonder like... if Brahms probably actually didn't care or maybe he did. I think, no, I think Brahms didn't really care. I think Brahms was a bit sensitive and would have preferred if someone wasn't speaking that way about him. Uh, but I don't think it really phased him too much. Uh, someone might want to fact check me on that because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> 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 All right. So, um, I had a couple more anecdotes here. Uh, another time where he rushes off the stage. Another time where he literally leaves someone someone's house forever because they passed him a piece of food on a toothpick. <laughs> um, but I think you get the idea. <laughs> I think I've painted yeah, the picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Wolfian picture. And it's time to turn to his Murica leader. He's just a little tiny ball of chaos. Sure is. 
Starting in February 1888, a virtual flood of songs flowed from Wolf's pen. He had asked some friends if he could stay in their house that was sitting empty while they were elsewhere. He knew that absolute quiet and solitude would be conducive for the work he felt stirring. He was inspired by the poetry of the Protestant pastor Edvard Murica, a German poet known for his lyrical and evocative poetry. Murica and Wolf had extremely different perspectives and worldviews, yet these poems ignited Wolf's imagination. The Murica leader encompassed a broad spectrum of themes, from love and longing to nature and the human condition. Wolf's ability to capture the essence of each poem and translate it into music is one of the defining features of this cycle. I think that each poem presented a problem and like a fresh challenge to his powers of, inv of invention, and he solved each one in a unique way. Murica Lieder consists of 53 individual songs, making it one of the largest and most comprehensive leader cycles in the German Romantic tradition. And I thought uh, Winterreise was, you know, <laughs> a cycle. was long. Yeah, it's not as, um, you know, like cyclically composed. So it's not like one story throughout. It's all individual poems. Just a few will be cherry picked out of out of the cycle and performed. Was the whole cycle ever performed? I mean, you is know, that like, that's a good question. Like 53 songs. Concert? I have absolutely no idea how long 53 songs would take. Um, listeners, if you know, feel free to write in. I'm sure I could also Google it after I'm done recording <laughs> this. I don't think I've ever, like, there are recorded, you know, complete uh, recordings of the Murica Leader, but uh, I don't know if anyone's ever gotten up sta on stage and said, and uh, now, 53 songs. <laughs> oh my gosh, just pull a wolf and walk out. <laughs> right? Um, surely there's got to be a break in there somewhere. During this burst of writing, sometimes multiple songs would be written in the course of one day. And in fact, there are letters to friends where he would write about having written already one song that day. And then another letter from later in the day says that two more songs had just come out in the interim time. And the flood did not stop after the 53 texts of Murica's that he sent to music. No, he kept on writing. Within the course of a year, he composed 116 songs, including songs with texts by Eichendorf and Goethe. A veritable flurry of song genesis the leader world had not seen since the likes of Schubert or since Schumann's famous year of song in 1840. These 116 songs are the pillars upon which most of Wolf's fame rests. Although I believe he did compose about 300 songs. Okay, skipping ahead here because we running out of time. It wasn't until the age of 30 that Wolf's competitions began to be played in public. Competitions? Is that what I said? Mm -hmm. hmm, I meant compositions. And he started reaching some critical acclaim. In fact, as his songs grew to be more and more popular, there were even a few Wolf societies that sprang up in support of the composer and the mission of bringing his music to a wider crowd. Often he was aware, however, that he needed to keep his distance from these societies for fear of being himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. Crazy recognizes crazy. Yeah, you know? totally. He was afraid of offending some singer or someone within the society that then would put a damper on the performance of his works. Because uh, that, ha that happened with different music, um, musical groups, performing groups, where they would just refuse to perform Wolf because of someone he had offended. Um, I'm sure that, you know, this... This little bit of fame that he did garner, I, I like to call it fame light. <laughs> you know, he wasn't as famous as, as Wagner or, or Liszt, which are two composers that he really idolized. But uh, it was fame light, you know, maybe in the local, you know, tavern, they knew who he was. <laughs> they were like, hey, we saw your, your pieces last Thursday night or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm sure that must have felt super validating, you know, that he had been living this scribble-scrabble existence for so long, and finally he had, you know, some kind of um, notoriety, some kind of recognition. And now we get to the sad part. Hugo Wolf had a history of mental health issues that dated back to his earlier year. Earlier years. He routinely experienced mood swings, anxiety, and depression, which often affected his personal and professional life. Sometimes great stretches of time would go by where he simply could not compose because of his mood. These were things that he and those around him were accustomed to. However, one day in September of 1897, he woke up and just basically lost his marbles. 
<laughs> Sorry, was that insensitive? I mean, to marble holders around the world. <laughs> when when was the when was the phrase coined? You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. Uh, but really, it was that way. Just one day, he lost it. So he joined his friend Helmer for a meal and was more excited, restless, and angry than Helmer had ever seen him. He was raving about being starving and then tore into his pork chop like an animal. But without silverware, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I think at this time it was back to using the silverware. But then things turned very strange. He started talking about how he had been appointed the director of the court opera. But no such appointment had been made. When another friend joined them, he went on and on about this new post. And they're both you know, just like side-eyeing each other, saying, uh, what's going on here? The next morning, Helmer found Wolf spewing this same story to Helmer's mother. Wolf had a maniacal look in his eye and was speaking in such a crazed way. There was nothing to conclude but that Wolf had lost his mind. The trigger seems to have been this. His old friend Mahler had recently been working as the provisional director at the Vienna Opera. He made some rude remarks or some such thing about Wolf's own opera. Honestly, it might not have even been that rude. But Wolf was so incensed that he cooked up this wild plan of revenge to have Mahler removed and himself instated as the director. And apparently he obsessed about this to the point where he himself just came to believe it to be true. His friends were aghast and heartbroken over this turn of events. In a quick turn of thinking, they were able to place him in an asylum by telling him that the Prince of Liechtenstein's carriage, that's hard to say, was outside to take him to see the prince about this new appointment. That's such a cruel bait and switch. I know, but they knew he needed help. They, yeah, what are you going to yeah. do, right? He wouldn't have gotten in if they said, yo, you lost your marbles. You need to go into an insane asylum. They're, I mean, he's not going to do that. Yeah. So while uh, the ethics around that are really challenging, uh, man, I feel for them. The carriage, obviously, instead of taking him to see the prince, took him to the asylum. It seems that he got out of the carriage without a fuss and ran up the steps in the way that he did straight to the doctors. Through his treatment, he was able to return to himself again and once more knew who he was. He did, however, write off most of his friends for placing him in the asylum. <laughs> I mean, that figures. Like, yeah. they, I think they knew that was coming. Um, yeah, you know how much he loved to hold a grudge, right? Eventually, he was considered well enough to leave the institution, but most everyone realized that it would only be temporary before his disease would consume him again. Sure enough, after about seven months, he could sense his mind slipping away, and he threw himself into a lake. However, the shock of the water brought him to his senses and he was able to swim to shore. It was at this point that he then asked to be put in an asylum. Over the next year, he had some high points and some low points, as is customary with the disease. Uh, but he began losing his ability to speak due to paralysis in 1900. And at the end of 1901, he began having terrible convulsions. And I mean, his, his existence there was just, it was not a good one. It was after a few hours of these terrible convulsions that he died in February of 1903 in the arms of his asylum attendant. Oh. I, guys, when I get to the end of these biographies, I am just wrecked. It's always, whew, it's always the hardest part of the research for me. I can't tell you how many biographies when I'm not preparing for a podcast or something of that sort. I just don't finish biographies because I don't like <laughs> sadness surrounding their death put you back in kids books and they lived happily, and they ever, lived happily after, ever after except for wolf okay any questions about his life because i know i was talking at like warp speed <laughs> i mean if anything i'm just a little curious about how how this was all collected how this was all put together like who who was it who knew how he came to his end or, you know, I'm assuming he had a lot of friends. Done. So actually one of his main friends that saw him was actually a lover. So he had a patron <laughs> um, and he had an affair with his patron's wife. The patron eventually found out about it and still continued to support Wolf. But she was there quite a bit at the end. He had a lot of really devoted friends. Mm. And uh, people who recognized his genius and also recognized that his weirdness, yeah. <laughs> right? And some of maybe the unacceptable ways that he behaved was due to the fact that he yeah. had this genius. Um, yeah, so there, there were so many friends who had... There's, 
a lot of specific documentation about um especially those end times where he was blabbing on about being appointed director, people were horrified. And there was situation after situation after situation where people were shocked and appalled, mm. realizing, oh my gosh, he has truly gone mad. What are we going to do? Um, so he, he had a lot of devoted friends around. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. And of course, there were the Wolf Societies. <laughs> of course, the societies of which he could not be present for. Right. Um, so the song we're going to be talking about today is called Gebet. And that is from the Murica leader, which is why I touched um, so... And that's the one of 51 songs? 53, 53. songs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so let me read you a translation of the text. Gebet. Prayer. Lord, send what thou wilt, pleasure or pain. I am content that both flow from thy hands. Do not, I beseech thee, overwhelm me with joy or suffering, but midway between lies blessed moderation. It's a shorty. It's a little shorty. Um, as are many of the poems, I mean, a lot of the poems from uh, Murica Leader are quite long, uh, but there are uh, just some tiny little gems, uh, of which Gebet is one. Gebet is a heartfelt prayer set to music. The lyrics convey a sense of deep spiritual devotion and a yearning for divine guidance. The speaker addresses God, expressing their desire to live a life in accordance with his will. So Wolf's music for Gebet is characterized by its simplicity and its serenity. The song begins with a gentle, flowing piano introduction, creating a sense of calm and reverence. Churchy. Wolf's harmonies in Gebet are harmonically stable to begin, reflecting the sense of spiritual peace and serenity expressed in the text. But, so, right, the prayerer, if that's a word, who, what, what's another word for pr- someone who prays? It's a prayerer, right? It's a, it's a supplicator. A supplicator, the supplicant. I think it's supplicant. Really? Well, that's actually a thing. Supplicator sounds like something that's going to deliver some kind of medication that sounds like a not too enjoyable a manner. <laughs> like incubator or... I don't uh, know. What's, suppo- what's the... Suppository. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. Think of that. Anyway, moving on. So the prayer starts out by saying, hey, I know you've got this God, thy will be done. But then upon deeper thought, um, the speaker says, but maybe you could perhaps not overwhelm me. And then perhaps to make this go over a little bit better, because, you know, the speaker is speaking to God after all. The speaker says, do not overwhelm me with joy or sorrow. So you'll hear that the harmonies start moving around. They start being a little bit uncomfortable. And then when we talk about finding the blessed moderation, we have a sense of resolution, which I have to say is a main feature of many of Wolf's songs. And I think it's why I like this one so much as an introduction to Wolf. We kind of get the best of his essence in mini form, right? So the song's not that long, but we are presented with a lot of the 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 main kind of pinnings of Wolf's composition. Is it lost on us or is it not lost on us that he's just asking for even keeled? Like he just wants to live in the middle. Mm-hmm. And do you think that Wolf never got to live in the middle? Because he was always on like one end of the spectrum or the Wolf. other. 
Wolf. Um, yeah, you know what? That's really interesting. I don't know if in this one he's thinking <laughs> moderation. That's funny. I'm a not a moderate kind of guy. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know, but he did specifically choose these 53. So I think that there was something that really called to him. Could have perhaps been that issue of moderation. Um but he finds that really interesting. Well, at the same time, there are the extremes. He does talk about joy. He does talk about sorrow. And you'll hear it really get chromatic and wander around searching, searching. It um, reminds me a little bit of like a psychedelic trip. <laughs> where It kind of gets to that point in the trip. Where you're like, oh, my God, I need to find like some kind of grounding. I'm searching for some kind of meaning, some kind of, I don't, interpretation of what I'm seeing. Some kind of place to like, you know plant myself and and know where i am i i see that happen a little you need bit your in this. totem <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um okay so let's go ahead and take a listen i am very excited to introduce you to the tenor adrian otar i met adrian through instagram uh we've actually never met in person but we connected during the pandemic and collaborated on this recording of wolf's Gebate long distance Adrian is based out of Vienna at the moment and will be appearing later this season as Il Contino Belfiore in Mozart's La Finta Giardiniera and as Benvolio in Gounod's Romeo et Juliette. And both of those productions are happening at Theater an der Wien. I'll be sure to include a link to Adrian's Instagram profile in the show notes. It's been a great joy of mine to meet and collaborate with singers on Instagram and I know you'll love hearing Adrian today. so lovely it's gorgeous isn't it it kind of makes you a little sad though i know it totally does yeah i mean you can almost feel it in the music that like maybe he just wants to be a little more normal than he is <laughs> i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> yeah like maybe. like there's there's like a 
uh, just based on hearing, like I can envision his life and just be Mm. like, oh, that's got to be so hard to live in those uh, extreme places. Yeah. Uh, So there's, yeah, there's just like a little bit of sorrow in it. But it's still so beautiful and lovely. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, because I played this, um, I played this a couple years ago and hadn't returned to it since. And as I was preparing for this and, li- and just listening, I, I really want to play some more Wolf now. I feel like hearing kind of the laciness of the chromaticism working towards its end goal, it just, it felt a little bit more, and maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe I'm in a place in my life where I'm resting a bit more in the unknown and those places where it gets super chromatic and wanders around a bit, I I relate to a bit more, I think, that we don't have solid footing, that we're searching for some kind of resting place or some kind of resolution. And I'm enjoying that process more now, I think. And as I was listening, even just this last time, as I was listening to this recording, I mean, my own recording, I was thinking, wow, I really would like to dwell a little bit longer in this place before it resolves. And that's a new feeling for me, a completely new feeling. And so I'm really excited to have uh, done all this Wolf research and to um, be reacquainted with this song, even if just for that little little piece alone. I think I, I might dive a bit more into Wolf in the future. Um, so, so, so many good songs. I've, it's always been a dream of mine to have the song Der Feuerreiter on the podcast, which is absolutely spectacular song but i will not be playing that on the podcast <laughs> i have to find someone else to to play it for me and sing it because i will also not be singing it <laughs> nor do you want me to <laughs> all right well ryan i think we did it we made it we sure did Woo-hoo. thanks for being here today of course what you're very welcome i was trying to think of some like you go full joke or whatever but it, it just oh it do you felt, want some time to make up no, a wolf no 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 joke? no no, no, no. <laughs> Some, some yeah yeah but then i got a little caught up in the f- 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 <laughs> yeah that's all right i just i thank you just for being here even if you don't have a funny joke to close us out i'm really grateful for your presence <laughs> and listeners thank you if you haven't had enough hugo wolf in your life then you might want to try singing debate with me you can find my accompaniment on youtube I'm there as Mandy Madrid Sikich. Just click on the leader accompaniments playlist and start singing. I'll also include a link to the specific accompaniment for Gebate in the show notes. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! Solving skills. It's good! And good for you. Bobby? Susie? Don't worry! That's just the power of the arms! <laughs> if you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.